Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Yeah, so this week and next week we're doing a a super short two-part series just for the holidays through uh, the very start of Acts. So this week is chapter one of Acts and next week is chapter two. And Acts 1 and 2 um, are about a turning point. Possibly, still like, sorry, I want to make sure this is because it's the start of the sermon. This isn't doing it to you guys the whole way through. What am I doing wrong? Is that, we'll see how it goes. All right. Um, So Acts 1 and 2, they're about a turning point, possibly the most significant turning point uh, in salvation history. Okay, so the, the, the passage you're looking at today captures what has just happened in the past what needs to happen now in the present, and what will happen in the future. Uh, and, and for those of you who might be a bit familiar with Acts already, you might know that it's written by Luke, okay, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and Acts is like the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Okay, have a look at, at the very first verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Luke's writing to Theophilus, and he mentions that there's a book before this one, Uh, that he also wrote for Theophilus. And in the opening verses um, of Luke, you don't need to bother flicking there, I'll just read it out. Um, You can see what it's like in the the start of his first book. Luke says, the very opening verses of Luke, um, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished uh, among us, just as those um, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us." It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So uh, Luke put together this this orderly account of of the gospel, of everything that happened um, from Jesus' birth through to his uh, resurrection and ascension. Um, and then this, and he wrote that to Theophilus, all right? And then, he, then Luke um, is now writing Acts to the same thing. And so it's handy to be looking at Acts 1 the week straight after Easter when we've just looked at the resurrection of Jesus because Acts kicks off right after with what happens next, all right? It's, it's a turning point. And uh, one of the first things that Luke makes clear as we look at what happened after Jesus' resurrection is the undeniable truth of his resurrection, Have a look at verse 3. Verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus presented himself alive by many proofs. For 40 days, he stayed with them, he spoke with them, he ate with them. Uh, They saw him, they touched him, they heard him. And not just the disciples either. It's not mentioned here, but Jesus appeared to hundreds of people during that time. And so, I mean, Easter last week as well was a great chance to remember that the resurrection was real. Not not an inspirational idea, um, but actually real, tangible history. Um, And this is where we tap into at the start of Acts. Um, An incredible event in history has just taken place in real time and space, an event that can be investigated and tested and verified. And now, in the book of Acts, we start to see the impact of that event in real time. And so because Acts 1 is a turning point encompassing the past, present, and future, I'm going to break things down today uh, into three simple sections, all right? The beginning, the middle, and the end. 
You're welcome, right? It's school holidays. I thought we'd keep it simple. Um, the beginning, the middle, and the end, all right? Super easy. Let's have a look at the beginning, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Did you catch that? So Luke is saying that in his first book, he dealt with what Jesus began to do and teach. Now remember, Acts is like the sequel to, to the book of Luke, right? And Luke went right up to the death, resurrection, and, and the ascension of Jesus to heaven. And yet, even though it captured his whole life here on earth, Luke is referring to that as just what Jesus began to do and teach. This is falling all the way down. Sorry, guys. <laughs> this is like crazy. Yeah. I have no idea what's going on here. Sorry. <laughs> um, all right, I'll keep talking while I get a new one, I think. Um, sorry, guys. Um, you can hear me all right. All right um, so even though it captured, Luke captured um, Jesus' whole life here on earth, Luke is referring to that as just what Jesus began to do and teach. And that's kind of weird, right? Um, because the, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the, the climax and the culmination of many different things, Right? Um, oh, I take that. No, it's okay. um, we'll just move this. All right, cool. Sorry about that, guys. Are we on? Hello. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Yeah, it's perfect. Thanks, thanks for your patience, guys. Thanks, Colin. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Um, so, is it kind of weird? Are you feeling the weirdness of Luke saying that the whole like, biography of Jesus' life on earth was just the beginning of what he did. From his, his birth, death, resurrection, and ascension, that was just the beginning. And it's, it's also weird just because um, the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's the climax and the culmination of many things, right? It's the fulfillment of what salvation history had been heading towards the entire time and the fulfillment of much of what God's people had been promised and had been waiting for. And so if movies are anything to go by, you might also think that that kind of makes it the conclusion, right? Because everything's building up to this moment. This is, this is the end. This is when things get epic. Um, and yet not only is this not the end of what Jesus did and taught, this was in some ways just the beginning. The death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus was just the beginning of Jesus' work since he came to earth as a man. The gospel wasn't the end of the story. It was the beginning the gospel was just the beginning. And this took the disciples by surprise as well, right? Because they thought, okay, Jesus has finished everything he came to do, right? He died on the cross. He rose again. They didn't know that this had only been what Jesus had just begun to do. Have a look at verse 5. Jesus says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So when Jesus said that, he, that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit in only a matter of days, the disciples thought he must be wrapping everything up, right? Like, this is it. This is, this is the deal. This is what we've been waiting for. And there was good reason to expect that from Old Testament scripture as well. But while certain things had been promised, Jesus explained that they won't know God's timing for it. So the disciples had lived with this idea that at the end of the age, the Messiah will come and pour out his spirit. And in an instant, he's going to rid the world of evil. Their enemies will be gone. Their hardships will be over. The universe will be transformed. So the disciples are thinking from their perspective, well, this must be time to overthrow the Romans, right? And make Israel 
this dominant nation over all the others. They're asking Jesus, cool, so are you going to do all of that now? And Jesus' answer is, yes, but also no. Um, and he wasn't pulling a classic Aussie, yeah, nah, which, by the way, just means no, all right? Um, he actually was meaning yes and no. Yes, because the king has come and has begun to restore God's kingdom, absolutely. But no, in the sense that the, his kingdom is bigger than the human nation of Israel. And no, in regards to it all happening right that very moment. The kingdom wouldn't appear in an instant. This was the beginning. And so if everything described in the Gospel of Luke was what Jesus began to do and teach, then, then Acts is what Jesus continues to do. Even after his ascension to the right hand of God the Father, Jesus is continuing his ministry just in a different way, which we'll see established at Pentecost when we look at chapter 2 next week. And so it's, it's interesting that this book is referred to as Acts, or um, more fully, the Acts of the Apostles, because while this book is about the Acts of the Apostles, it's also about the Acts of the risen and exalted Jesus. The Gospel of Luke was about what Jesus began to do, and Acts is about what he continues to do from the right hand of the Father. And so that brings us to the middle, right? Remember, Acts 1 established a turning point of a new era between the past and the present, between the beginning and the end. And it's, it's the same era that you and I are in right now, actually. And so if Acts, the book of Acts is focused on the middle, and we're also in that era, then let's take a, a look at what the middle is all about. Have a look at verse 7. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So Jesus said to his disciples that it's not for, for them to know God's timing for the final restoration of his kingdom. It's not the end yet. Between, between now and then, between now and, and when it is the end, the disciples have a job to do. And God is empowering them to do it. In verse 8, Jesus says that until the end times arrive, the job of Jesus' disciples is to be witnesses for him. Witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This, this point in time, between Jesus' ascension and the end times, is about witnessing the gospel and taking it to every nation on earth. Remember, Acts 1 captures that turning point in salvation history, and this verse, chapter 1, verse 8, is actually a really key verse for capturing this turning point, right? It captures a lot of the fundamental aspects of what was defining about this point in time. And it actually sets up the focus and the trajectory for the rest of the book of Acts, okay? Um, as the apostles take the gospel as Christ's witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and beyond. Um, so if, if Acts got its own series on Netflix, this verse would be like the one-sentence blurb that kind of tells you what it's about, right? This is going to be what it's, what, what it's all about, as the disciples travel outward as witnesses for Christ. And so the disciples were thinking, okay, great, so Israel's going to become a super nation, and all of the nations who are enemies to God will be crushed, the Romans crushed, everyone crushed, and they thought it was all about human and political, the human and political nation of Israel, and that they would become this dominant force. And this is what sits behind their question in verse 6, when they asked Jesus, so are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel now? Is this what's going to happen? And Jesus says, you don't need to know when. 
Instead, you should be concerned with having a proper understanding of what the kingdom is. You're not soldiers going to the end of the earth to conquer places. You'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's not about Israel conquering the Roman Empire or conquering any nation. It's about taking the gospel to all nations. That's how God's kingdom will be established. Jesus is correcting their understanding of the kingdom of God. The disciples, when it's talking about they'll receive power from God, the disciples won't be empowered to make Israel great. They'll be empowered to make Jesus great. And there's more packed into this verse as well, actually. In fact, I want to point out five fundamental things about this turning point in salvation history that are all really crucial for what was going on at this time, that this, this the couple of verses actually really helpfully kind of captures all of them. Um, I'm going to just read out some key words. I'm sorry, I should have done a slide for this one, and I kind of realized too late, but this just means that you're going to have to like really stretch yourselves. I, I had an easy structure, beginning, middle, end, so you can, this is to make up for that, all right? Um, five things, all right, I'm going to just, Shout out some key words, and then I'll, I'll show you where they fit into the verse. Power, Holy Spirit, witnesses, ends of the earth, and ascension. All right? I know you don't have them in front of you, but power, Holy Spirit, witnesses, ends of the earth, and ascension. Have a look. I'm going to read verses 8 and 9, and I'll show you where they feature in, and I'll tell you why I'm pointing these out. Have a look, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So power, Holy Spirit, witnesses, ends of the earth, and the ascension. Five really fundamental aspects about this turning point in salvation history. Um, that They're actually so significant that, just so you know, Luke's actually repeating these things for the second time. Now, he actually covered these five things at the end of Luke, but kind of using different words. Um, come with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 47. Um, the, the very end of the book that um, he had written just before this. And I'm going to read through these verses, and I want you guys to give me like a, a ding, 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 if you notice that Luke is referring to one of those five things, even if he's using different language for it, all right? So it might not be the same words, which means you've got to like track it really closely. Um, if, as, I, as I read through it, if you pick up at any of those five things, give me a ding, ding, ding. Can I have a practice ding, ding, ding from everyone? Cool, yeah, we'll work on it, that's right. Um, cool, so um, Luke chapter 24, verse 47 um, and remember, just to recap, these things are power, holy, the promise of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, being witnesses, taking it beyond Jerusalem to the end of the earth, and Jesus' ascension. All right, let's have a look. Luke chapter 24, verse 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Well done. You are witnesses of these things. Gold stars, everybody. Um, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Yeah, that's the tricky one, I reckon. It's talking about the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's sneaky, isn't it? But stay in the city until you are clothed with power. For, yeah, well done, from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Nice. Nailed it. Um, I don't know who did what, but let's just say everyone's a winner, okay? Um, but... I don't think it's an accident that Luke would tell Theophilus the same thing twice, and not even just in general terms, but specifically highlighting those five particular things, right? There's something so crucial about this transitional period as we go from 
the beginning with the gospel to the middle, which is the witnessing of that gospel. This turning point between the story of Jesus on earth beginning his teaching and ministry and the story of the spirit of Jesus continuing his work in the church from the right hand of the Father. And those five things are at the very heart of what defines that era, which is this era. God is empowering us by his Holy Spirit to be witnesses of the ascended Christ to the end of the earth. That's what this era in salvation history is all about. That's what defines the middle, from the moment Jesus ascended through to the end times. Which, you know, in some ways might sound a bit crazy when you think about it, right? Like Peter, the man who was afraid to witness for Jesus to a young girl around the fire, uh, is being commissioned to lead God's people to witness Christ to the ends of the earth. And he did, fruitfully, because God empowered him with his Holy Spirit. And we see that the ripple effect of that through the following chapters of Acts. Throughout the rest of the book, we see the Holy Spirit allowing healings, exorcism, speaking in tongues and other miracles. But all of those things even are just incidental to the primary reason that the Spirit is poured out, which is empowering bold testimony of Jesus among God's people. That's the primary outcome of the Holy Spirit. Um, In Acts 2, which we'll look at next week, the Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost and people begin speaking in tongues. But the speaking in tongues wasn't for the novelty of how impressive and crazy it was that people who spoke different languages could suddenly understand each other, and that is impressive and crazy. It was for the sake of the gospel being declared to more people in a way that could be understood. It was for the sake of God's people witnessing to all nations. That's what the Spirit was doing. In Acts 3... Peter, again, who was afraid to witness to a young girl, heals a cripple and then preaches the gospel to crowds of people. And almost overnight, we go from hundreds of believers to thousands of believers. It's incredible. In Acts 4, Peter and John preach not just to any crowd, but to the Sanhedrin, which is like the the Jewish court of officials. These are fishermen preaching to the Jewish court of officials. And again, they preach boldly and filled with the Spirit. And it makes an explicit point of saying that in Acts chapter 4. In Acts 6 and 7... Stephen is martyred and stoned to death, but continues to witness in his last moments because he's filled with the spirits. And again, it, the spirit. And again, it makes that explicitly clear. We see that through Stephen, an example that witnessing boldly doesn't guarantee that the people who hear will, will turn to Jesus and be saved. Uh, it divides and drives people in either direction. But there is a response that this witnessing has by by the Holy Spirit. And this is a particularly exciting thing about this era, right, that we might take for granted. You know, when I say this era, I'm meaning the middle, the time between Jesus' ascension and the end times. This is a really exciting thing because until this time, all right, God's Spirit only came on certain people for certain periods of times for certain purposes, right? So the Holy Spirit would come to God's king so that they could rule on his behalf. Um, Prophets would receive the Holy Spirit in order to prophesy. Um, Samson took out an army with a donkey skull. It it did crazy things, but it was for like different people at different times, right? Never before had all of God's people received his Holy Spirit, but it was always promised. And this is why the disciples get excited and wonder if Jesus is going to immediately restore Israel and God's kingdom. Because as first century Jewish Christians, they anticipated a Messiah that God's, and that God's people would receive God's Spirit because it had been promised. And so we should be excited too. We should appreciate this. We're, we're still in that same era. To have God dwelling in us by his Holy Spirit is something that's easier for us to take for granted. 
we often struggle to appreciate how amazing it is that, that our creator and the creator of the universe dwells in us. Mind-blowing. But the disciples who had lived knowing that that promise was yet to be fulfilled possibly appreciated what had changed in a more tangible way. Nevertheless, that means that we too are given the Spirit and are empowered to be witnesses for Jesus in various ways. Because, see, even though Acts begins with Jesus telling the apostles to be his witnesses to the end of the earth in chapter 1, the final chapter, chapter 28, doesn't finish with the apostles reaching all nations, okay? Paul gets to Rome, but for the 2,000 years since and counting, God's people have been witnessing to more and more people. And if you're a Christian, you have a part to play in that as well. There's an international um, church planting movement called Acts 29. Um, because if, if, if Acts 28 was the, the final chapter of, of the book and, the, and Paul got to Rome, we still haven't got it to all the nations yet. We're living in Acts 29. Is the, there's a thinking behind that name. And it's, it's a good reminder that that's the era that we're living in. This is where we are. It's what happens as the gospel is witnessed to all nations until Jesus' return. And so this is where, where I personally just feel really challenged and even rebuked uh, when I see how much bolder I need to be in witnessing Christ to those around me, in, in actively and explicitly sharing the gospel. Um, to see Jesus' Jesus's plan to pour out the Holy Spirit is to empower bold testimony about him. That's what it's about. Uh, and so... That's helpful to, be, to remember. That's, that's why Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit. That's why that happened at Pentecost. Because um, when we hear that God empowers us, not always, but sometimes, it can kind of be misunderstood to mean something that it doesn't. Um, uh, particularly maybe in kind of just like our Western kind of context. Um, in, in our context, I reckon the word empowered is often something you kind of expect to hear from like, I don't know, like a life coach or at a, a seminar, or inspirational, motivational kind of talk. Empowered is, is a buzzword that our society likes. Um, but usually, we like it because we want to be empowered to pursue our own personal hopes and dreams and life goals, right? Well, when Jesus says, I'm going to come and live in, uh, in you by my spirit, I'm going to empower you, it's for something very particular, and it's not exclusively for our sake, although obviously we benefit from it. Jesus is saying, no, I want to come and empower you for my mission, not for yours, um, are you thinking of God as, on some subconscious level, you might not think this consciously, but on a subconscious level, are you thinking of God as effectively like a, a genie that, that exists to kind of empower you for your own goals more than empowering you for his will? Now, when you hear that, our reflex might be to kind of dismiss that suggestion with a laugh, like, oh, no, I wouldn't think like that. But it can actually be a mentality that we're not always aware of. How do we know if we are really living our lives in a kingdom-minded way, with proper awareness of where we fit in salvation history and our calling to be witnesses for Christ? I reckon that there's lots of different ways that we can kind of grow in self-awareness of what our thinking is. Um, I think one pretty simple and practical way is to be self-aware is to analyse the way that we pray. You know, think about the, the way that you pray and what you pray about. Um, we, we can pray about anything. Um, and we're told to. That's okay. But if the focus of our prayer is so heavily wrapped up in your own immediate desires or goals over a sustained period of time, 
and that, that becomes all it is, that could be a sign that you're starting to view Jesus as a means to an end, as someone primarily there to intervene in your circumstances in, in a way that suits you. But while all of those things are good to be praying about, we want to be kingdom-minded and have perspective on other things. We, we, we want to remember that we've been empowered not for our own mission, not the points mission, but for Jesus' mission. That we would display his greatness that we would point people to a relationship with him. And of course, ironically, that life with Jesus is the best thing for us anyway, right? Better than the goals that we have for ourselves. By the way, that isn't, that isn't the same as saying that life on Jesus' mission is easier or more comfortable than a life pursuing our own goals, but it's absolutely better for us. So how, how bold are you in witnessing for Christ? Are we a bold church or are we a timid church? That's not a, that's not a guilt thing. That's just a confidence thing, right? Um, I think it's so helpful hearing from Phil that, that Easter challenge, right? Um, sometimes it's just like those timely opportunities, something like Easter or something comes around, that we're kind of reminded of things that we could do anytime. <laughs> you know, we kind of go, oh, that's right. The, the, the business of life or whatever or routine or whatever means that we kind of lose some of that urgency or that, that perspective. And so I think it's really helpful. Definitely um, make sure you take a, a note of, of, of Phil's challenge to us um, and consider people that you can be witnessing to. Um, are we talking to our mates about Jesus, our families, our colleagues, our you know, people that we go to uni with, whatever it is? Are we inviting them to things like life, our series which runs through the claims of Jesus, um, foundations? Um, do we have? Um, do we know of other people, like family members that might have that live locally with kids who could go to, you know, Pointy J or Blast or anything like that? Different things like that. We're living in the middle of Jesus' ascension and His return, right? In between His ascension and His return, and the middle is all about living as a witness for Jesus and His gospel. And that brings us to my third and final section today, which is pretty naturally called the end, right? Um, I kept it simple. Have a look. Verse 9. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus has just been telling them, the apostles, to be witnesses for him to the end of the earth, and then he was lifted up into the sky. Right? I, I kind of wonder what it would have been, like, what would have been going through their heads in that moment, you know, kind of like, uh, kind of looking at each other, like, did you see that too? Was it, you know, is he coming back? Are we supposed to follow him? Is this like one of those like walk on water things where like we can do it too if we have faith? Like I'm kind of like, what are we doing right now? Um, maybe kind of like looking at what they're drinking, like, like what, what's going on for me right now? Um, either way, they don't really appear to know what's going on, okay? Because verse 10 says they're kind of standing there gazing into the sky, like waiting for like, okay, what's happening next? Like I imagine kind of with their mouths open a bit, kind of like, you know. Um, and they must have been sitting there for a bit because God's like, all right, I'm gonna have to send a couple of angels down there to sort this out. So in verse 11, two angels appear and tell them, you can stop staring in the sky. He's gone up into heaven and he'll return in the same way. So big thing, he's going to return. And also, the angels are describing it as if he would return in a similar way to how he left. Um, and this might seem like a familiar image 
if you're familiar with the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, um, Daniel is a book, um, if you want to flick to Daniel, actually, it's in the Old Testament, have, have a, a flick back there. Um, Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 7, actually, flick to Daniel chapter 7. Um, Daniel's a book that includes passages of prophecy that in addition to speaking to their immediate context, they also kind of foreshadow Jesus who ultimately um, brings the greatest fulfillment of what it describes. Daniel 7 in particular describes a very similar image of the Son of Man appearing from the clouds. And Son of Man was a way that Jesus often referred to himself. Have a look, Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. Have a look at verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." So the Son of Man is coming on the clouds of heaven and is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. But did you also notice that his kingdom, it's an everlasting dominion, a kingdom that shall never pass away, never be destroyed. When Jesus returns at the end times, he's establishing a kingdom that will last forever, for eternity, which means the end isn't really an end, it's actually a new beginning. When Jesus returns, he'll be establishing a new beginning with an eternal kingdom. Um, let's actually flick to the back of the Bible. Revelation 21. Revelation 21 um, to read more about this new beginning. Okay? Revelation was written by the Apostle John as he gave an account of the vision that God gave him of Christ's return and this new beginning. And so John's describing to us uh, what, what Christ revealed to him in this vision. Revelation 21 verse 1. Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God." He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So in John's account, we see Jesus describe himself as the the Alpha and the Omega, the the beginning and the end, and he also says that he's making all things new. It says this kingdom is a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. And And after Jesus ascended, the angels confirmed that Jesus will return to do this. Jesus will return when it's time to establish that new kingdom. This new beginning is established after Jesus returns. When's he coming back? Well, you remember back in Acts 1, right, that the apostles asked when Jesus was going to restore his kingdom, and he says, we won't know when, but until that time, we're to be witnesses for him. Um, Now, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was telling this to the apostle, though, right, and counting. That's a decent amount of time, right? Um, 
why are we still in you know, the middle and, and not, not at this new beginning yet? Why hasn't Jesus come back? Is, is, is God being slow? Um, have a look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, this is the last place we'll go tonight. So flick, flick over to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. And we're considering that question of, well, it's been a long time. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Is God being slow? Why are we not in that new beginning? 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, And we'll read from um, verse 3. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And then go down to verse 8. Verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So no is the short answer. He's not being slow. He's being patient. The time we have is time for us to repent instead of perish. That's the key reason that Jesus hasn't returned yet, because when he does return, it'll be too late. And so then it shouldn't come as a surprise that Jesus' commissions, Jesus' commission to his apostles is to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. You know, we just looked at how the era that we're in, the middle, is also about being witnesses. And so Jesus is patient in his return for the sake of everyone who repents and turns to him so that more people can be witnessed to. Our life is an opportunity to see people repent instead of perish. I, um, I have four kids all below school age um, who go to daycare on the street where we live. And um, one day I was picking the kids up and walking them home. And my three-year-old daughter, Bonnie, didn't want to hold hands when we crossed the road. Um, anyone that's, that's done much with toddlers, you might know the struggle I'm talking about right now. Um, she didn't want to hold hands when we crossed the road. And I, I said, well, we need to hold hands, Bonnie, because it can actually be very dangerous. You could get hit by a car. You could get really hurt. You could even die. And my four-year-old son, Dallas, said, but Dad, that's okay, because she'll just go to heaven. Um, and I was like, damn it. Um, <laughs> okay, you got me there. Yes, but I'm um, trying to figure out how to, to, to cover that one while I'm, you know, got all the four kids. Um, now, Dallas often talks with excitement about heaven, right? Like, who will go to heaven first? When will I go? Can I go now? Why not? Um, and I'm thinking, um, it's, it's super great that you're excited, but just maybe not be too excited when we're crossing the road. Um, see, what I often have to remind Dallas, I say to him, you'll be with God in heaven eventually, But before then, God wants you to stay here for longer to spend more time telling more of your friends the good news about Jesus. The thing is, when I'm reminding Dallas of that, I'm actually reminding myself as well. We need that reminder too. Heaven will be unfathomably amazing. And when Jesus returns, it will be the best moment for everyone who knows him. But that time will come. We don't need to rush our life or rush Jesus' return for now It's important that Jesus is patient with his return and it's important that we're here for as long as God sustains us because God wants us to be his witnesses to as many people as possible.
That's why we're here. Just like Paul said in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To die is gain, but to live is Christ. We're, we're, we're here. We've got purpose. So when I say hold my hand when we cross the road, hold my hand. Um, yeah. But we've been reminded from God's word today that if you're a Christian, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Jesus. Each day you're here is another day to keep witnessing. And that passage in 2 Peter also said that the day of the Lord will come like a thief, right? We won't know when it happens. And Jesus said that to the apostles as well. So we can't assume that there'll be a certain amount of time for us or for those around us to turn to Jesus. We need to use our time as best we can. Now, as, as I consider all of this kind of stuff, I actually get really excited. I hope that you're getting excited too as you remember this sort of stuff because there is nothing like the Christian life where we have Jesus who is alive today, in us today, by his spirit, still on mission through us today. If that's not going to encourage you, I don't know what is, right? That's his mission. It's, it's one thing to, be, to kind of admire Jesus from a distance or kind of attempt to kind of emulate his life in some way or, or simply hold on to knowledge that you have. Um, but it's another thing to experience his power at work in you. That's Christianity. To be Christian is to have God, the creator of the universe, alive in you, dwelling in you by his Holy Spirit. He saves you, he changes you, he emboldens you, he empowers you to be a witness for him and to bring him glory to the ends of the earth. That's, that's the beginning, the middle, and the end. The gospel, the witness, and the return. I'm going to pray. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your work in creating us and the world we live in and for redeeming us and saving us through your son Jesus who died rose again and ascended on high. And we praise you and thank you that you would dwell in us by your spirit, empowering us to be your witnesses for your glory, for your kingdom. Please help us to be bold witnesses for you. Please help us to not waste the opportunity you were giving us with the patient return of your son. And we praise you and thank you that one day your son will return to bring your people into a new creation in your presence and with one another for eternity. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.